Welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're showing you how we build a campaign from level 1 to level 20. We know that your campaign will be different than ours, but listen to how we use the idea of dynamic encounters to add unique scenarios to each of our sessions. We're designing encounters for a generic party of the following five archetypes of a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman, and they're all very low level. They've just explored the surrounding farmland, but they don't know that a group of strange dark elves is stalking them during their travels. This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, is available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and many other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out the entire library of episodes on www.itsamimic.com and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Let's get to building. Hey Adam, so at the end of last session, we made sure we gave our party a chance to breathe, to tell some stories, to eat some good food, to get the giggles out and and give this sense of catharsis to them because we knew coming up in this session, the other foot is dropping and things are about to get real. And in a way that is a bit dangerous for DMs to kind of engage in. Yes, we will be directly fist fighting the players around the table. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it... I've seen tables come to that when dealing with some of the stuff we're talking about because we know that at some point in time, the party is getting captured and will likely be stripped of their items. We are going to be interrupting briefly the idea of player agency in order to tell the narrative a little bit here. So there's a lot of dangers. There's a lot of things. And of course, this being the podcast, we want to be able to talk about how we do this in a way that is uh, helpful, that is attainable, and will hopefully make it so you could tell this uh, or so that you could include this narrative style in your story to add a little bit more drama, a little bit more intensity to your campaign. The other thing that I want to say really quickly is we're going to cover a couple things in this episode that may uh, have the potential to annoy or target some people. There may be a couple of little triggering things in here. We are talking about capture and jail, losing agency, and bad players around the table. Things that that we don't want to deal with um, in our personal lives. And so if you find a little bit of fence, we're sorry. We're not targeting anybody particularly. Except for you, Dave. Fucking Dave. Finally, the last thing is um, there may be a little bit of a trigger warning if there's anybody that's been held against their will, let's say. So yeah, um, just wanted to, to get that up front and uh, let's, let's move on to the episode then. So Adam, we know that we are going to be pulling the rug out from our players halfway through this session and we are going to be capturing them um, by enemy forces throwing them behind bars, and likely taking away their weapons, maybe impeding their ability to cast spells, doing these other things. What this is doing is dancing that line of the cardinal sin of removing agency from your players. Now, I want to talk about this for a couple minutes here because agency is incredibly important to maintain in a game. But what agency is, is a player's ownership of their character in body and action. So a player gets to decide what the character does, what the character holds, what the character behaves like. They are the controller of that character. And 
when you start attacking their agency, you start attacking a player's sense of control. So look, we're, we're not talking about the basic level of removing agency where, hey, you're stunned for a round. You don't get to do anything this round. We're talking about all that agency that players get really excited about when they design their character in the first place, when they choose which weapon they're carrying, what color their jacket is, which hip their spell component bag is on. There are a lot of these different things that, that they've made choices about at a very base level. We're going to take a lot of it away. We are essentially going to strip them of many of the choices that they've made, and that pisses off people. Yeah. They've put a lot of time and effort into these characters, and if they don't trust you as a dungeon master, they're going to flip. They're just going to lose their shit around the table. We're not talking player characters. We're talking players. Your friends around the table, or in this day and age through Roll20, whatever it is, <laughs> you're really facing... On the Zoom call. Yeah, you're really facing some rage quits. Right? Like, yeah. that's really something that can happen. I don't mind being a little meta. I don't mind getting halfway through this and saying it is clear to your character. What's your passive perception? I don't care if they say eight. It doesn't matter what the number is. I'm going to use a game mechanic for a second. So what's your passive perception? It is clear to your player that there's no easy or clear way out of this. What's your passive insight? Yeah. I don't care what number they say. It's clear that you are outgunned and outnumbered. What is your wisdom score? There's no way to win this battle. Your character knows this. The correct answer here is to surrender. I don't mind giving that because it lets them know that this is a story plot beat. Like, And this is not about them failing. This is not about them being punished. The deck has been stacked against them. Yeah. Well, this is why from day one of this podcast and, and anything that you and I have said and put on the internet, Oh, careful now. I've put some things on the internet that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> You're right. We don't want to talk about those. Um, <laughs> we have been saying you are not the adversary of your party if you're the DM. And the adversarial DM is going to build primarily a lot of distrust, which means if you have a history or, or um, if the previous few sessions leading up to a point where you want to do a capture thing, the parties have come to you and been like, hey, man, it feels like you're targeting us. They in some way communicate the fact that you might be losing a little bit of their trust that you're not out there just to be their adversary. You might want to hold off on removing their agency. It needs to come from a good spot of trust. This is one of the reasons we knew this was coming last session. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time. You go back and listen to the dynamic encounters we built. There was nothing really threatening there. No. It was exploratory. There was role playing and they were building relationships with people because we wanted them to be at ease and to have fun because that's us building trust ahead of time because we're about to subvert those expectations. And this is something, Dan, that you and I, with all of our years of experience, we naturally know to do this, right? And we'll actually do this over a number of sessions in advance Yep. because the players never stick to the script. So we know we have some time, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really important to say yes and and no but leading up to these because you are going to start saying no, period. And that can be very, very dangerous for a DM to say around a table if they don't have that trust. So give them the respite before you take away all their expectations, but also make sure you've spent a good amount of time just building trust that you're their friend. You're not an adversary. They're not there to defeat you. This isn't a co competition to who D&D's the best. This is a game and we're all in it together. And if you can really establish that, playing this plot point, playing this plot device of a capture, some a sense of like, uh, the way you put it here, Adam, in the notes is destined loss. 
Um, I actually really like that idea where we know that in the future, they're going to lose their crap. And I'm not saying like they're going to get upset. No, their crap is going to get lost. Someone's going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone is literally going to walk up to your warrior who has their ancestral blade and be like, that's mine now. And there's going to be nothing your warrior can do about it. And that's going to cause issues. What happens when your mage and your priest do not have access to spell components anymore, right? We are really going to take away the ability for them to accomplish things and it's going to suck for them. We're going to take four levels worth of gameplay and we're going to knock them down to level one where you had like two things that you could possibly do on your character sheet. And it's going to piss people off. I'll tell you one thing that that I saw a very intelligent DM do way back in my fourth edition days. Whenever there was going to be a problem ahead of time and he knew that he was going to take agency away, he took cue cards and he would write on them, this is a temporary solution. I know this is a plot point. Please be patient, bear with me, and please stay in character. And he wrote it on these cue cards and he folded them in half so nobody could read them. And he had three times the number of players around the the table. So there were five players at the time. He had 15 of these cue cards. As players started to get upset, he would just hand one of these out to them and they would open it up and they would read it and they would calm down and say, right, okay, so this is not a personal attack. I'm fine, right? And it was something private between two people, but it was very meta. And this is one of those instances where it is okay to sit back and be meta so that the players can enjoy the ride instead of feeling targeted and and picked on. You don't want to bully your players. And even if you don't mean to, they may feel like they're being bullied. So, Adam, real quick, um, being able to tell the signs of a party member who is realizing for the first time that they're in a no-win scenario, they're going to start kind of showing some signs, showing some uh, cues that maybe they're about to lose their mind or they're coming to this realization. You've got some ways to kind of handle this. Do we want to, I've got a couple as well. Do we want to roll and uh, talk about some ways to tell your party is a probably about to head down this freak out because they've lost their agency yeah absolutely let's uh let's grab dice let's roll it. i got a four <laughs> i got a two fuck so the one thing i always look out for um mostly because my main group that i've been playing with for 20 plus years is a bunch of introverts whose entire social circle is that group of guys we've been playing with for the past 20 years. So I've come to know them well because I'm their friend, but a lot of their main tells that they're not happy about what's going on at the table is they'll lean back and be quiet and just get suddenly serious. The fart jokes have gone out the window. There's no more laughing and guffawing. There's not a lot of over-talking as well. My Friday night group is bad for over-talking each other and that stops and everyone gets quiet. I know something's about to go wrong. So it's at that point that I start to maybe pull that player aside and be like, hey, trust me on this. Yeah, that that's when I would hand out the cue cards, right? That's when you hand out the cue cards. Or if, if it's the entire table that's doing that, there's nothing stopping me from saying, hey, guys, trust me on this. This is planned. Yeah, and they may not like it, but again, if you say, hey, this is planned, and they say, well, it's bullshit, or be like, look, there are specific stories and beats that you guys can can deal with. We're meant to be heroes, and that's overcoming crazy odds. I'm putting crazy odds in front of you. Please bear with me. Dude, does everybody need a drink? Are we good? Or could bathroom break before we get back into this? And let them blow off steam, right? I think you're absolutely right. Watching their body language and the shift to suddenly they're not having fun. That big, that's the thing. I used to have a player that did this all the time, pissed me right off every time I saw it. He would do this almost every session. Anytime that he didn't win initiative, he would do this. He'd push back from the table in his chair. He'd cross his arms, he'd lean back, and he would just watch. 
until it was his turn. And then he would take a deep breath and he'd lean forward and say, well, I guess I do this. That level of passive aggressive shit is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It drives me up the wall as a DM, but I understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's completely legitimate to have that uh, interaction because you've put hours, you've put, like, what is this? This is episode 23. You've put weeks of effort into building this character and now everything you've built up seems to be crashing down around you. It's okay to get upset. It is okay. It's just handling that as the player and handling that as the DM has to be, you know, you have to have a good plan of action there. So I guess my first thing that I'm going to look out for is not necessarily what the players are doing, but what some of the characters' actions are. When you see the characters start to pull out their big guns, and you know that your mages and your priests and stuff, they've got that level two spell that they absolutely love, but they save it because they only have one spell slot. Or the warriors got their ability, whether it's a rage or a second wind or whatever it is, and they start to lean on their big guns. That means that they inherently know that they're in trouble. And when they inherently know that and they start leaning on those big guns and you know that that loss is coming and even their big powerhouse moves are not going to save them, you're going to start to see things go badly really quickly. So watch out for that. When your players start to make the decisions to really reach out and say, okay, uh, here, here's, here's what I'm going to do. This is, I, I guess I'm going to use this then. I'm going to use this power that I've only ever used once before. I'm going to reveal that <laughs> secret. The ASMR in the party blows his wings out for the first time and everyone goes, what the fuck? You're not human, <laughs> right? Well, if he's doing that and he says, okay, I'm going to, all right, I, I didn't want I didn't want to do this yet, but stop him. Get in the way of that and say, look, this is an impossible scenario. You may want to hold off on this. Don't, don't blow your, your big surprise right now. Just let it happen. Let the changeling continue to pretend to be an elf for a little while right? They don't need to give up their secrets right away. So keep your eyes out when they start to use those big powerhouse moves, when they start to lean on that stuff, that might be an indication for you as a DM to give them a little bit of warning and say, hey, it's okay that this is happening. On the inverse of that, I would say if you see that player look frantically on their paper, lean forward, start flipping through their back notes. Like they, they're, they're flipping back to the notes from, you know, the second session to look. And then they pull up that one magic item that they've been holding on to that they forgot they had, but it hits them. I would encourage you DMs out there to let them be like, Hey, 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 we got this wand from Tremblay, um, way back when that, Helps us do X thing. Helps us, you know, control, mold earth as the cantrip, but it's from the wand. And can we do it to do these cute, cool things? And they start getting really creative with their turns. Encourage that. But at the same time, you know, this is a no-win scenario. So you got to really walk that line of encourage them to be creative, but don't punish them by making their creative actions do nothing because you know it's going to be a no-win scenario. Yeah, if they want to just sit there and see what it's like to make a god bleed, then let them. Let them have that. They're not going to defeat this level 8 character that's facing them, that's taking them prisoner or whatever, right? So don't put it in their head that they can. If they think they can, be up front. But if they say, yeah, no, I know. I just want to break his fucking nose. Then say, all right, go nuts. How are you going to do that? And then when they start to get really creative about stuff, reward them. And there are lots of different ways to reward them. A minor victory will go miles in a field defeat, right? So if if they get snatched up, their stuff gets taken away, and they are, you know, 
naked and scared in a cage somewhere, they will know, hey, at least we hit it. At least we broke his nose. Or, hey, we took a couple of them down with us, right? They will have something that could give them that shred of hope. And often it's the players who are flipping through their back notes or, or trying to dig through the contents of that bag of holding to see maybe there's like a net gun somewhere down here that we've been storing this is a real life story. Um, a neck gun somewhere down here that I could use in this final encounter that'll make my DM Adam go, what the hell? <laughs> you still had that? Yeah. I guess my my last thing is when when it's time for the players to lose and it's time for you to take away the agency of what they can do with their attack actions and their spell casting, that doesn't mean that they're completely helpless or that they're completely useless. Remember, there are a number of different things that you can do in Dungeons and & Dragons and in all role-playing games that don't include you attacking someone. So, what I would like to do, and what I tend to do, is say when people are captured, there will be interactions between NPCs and there will be clues. There will be interesting role-play opportunities. There will be things to keep the party engaged even though they have lost, because it is implied that this is a puzzle for them to get out of. We're just setting up a new set of circumstances. So when you see them push back, when they when it's like, okay, it's your turn, what do you want to do? And they say, why, why would I bother to do anything? I can't fucking win. And when they say that, you say, okay, because if you listen closely, you may find a way to turn the tables. Patience and understanding is key. And just because you're, you have an intelligence of eight or you are prone to raging out or this reminds me of a childhood trauma I went through doesn't mean your character's dumb or reckless. I would say that to the players and say, look, there are going to be clues and opportunities, and I will let you know when this no-win scenario goes back to you guys having full agency again. For now, listen, ask questions, role play, interact, consider this maybe to be downtime. Maybe I'll even throw in a skill challenge for talking to other people that are captured or trying to pump the guard for information or whatever it is. Give them other things to do. It is the helplessness that really drags people down. So don't make them helpless. Give them other things. All right, Adam, we've talked a lot about the meta side of what to do to kind of encourage the players. But let's be completely honest. The player characters themselves can have a mind of their own in some ways. And when people get desperate and they know they're captured, they start getting... A little bit more creative, a little bit more weird. I want to talk about after that no-win scenario is done, the party is captured. What are some things that you as a DM should watch out for that party members tend to do when they're captured? Can we roll dice? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I got Five. a 14. Okay, yeah, I'm going first this time. Okay, so the one that really stands out to me right off the bat is usually they get captured and they get their stuff taken away and then they get thrown into some sort of pen or jail or they get tied to a tree or whatever it is. Yeah. And there's a moment to breathe and they immediately start to strategize. What can we do? They all lean in together and they start to talk. If you make the mistake of giving them a short rest or a long rest for them to recharge abilities or even pick new spells, be prepared. Shit is going to get weird. Mm-hmm. And they're going to come up with plans and they're going to come up with, with tactics and things that even though there's no way for them to get out, they're going to get hope again. And while I always say that hope is a good thing, in this scenario, hope is just going to antagonize them and, and really knock them down another peg when they try four or five different things that just don't work. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I do as a dungeon master is I, as I look at the spellcasters, my, my antagonists are smart enough. They know what a spellcaster looks like. They're going to gag you and tie your hands behind your back. They know what the crafty thief looks like. They're going to put your hands in manacles and they're going to, they're going to hog tie you. They're going to frog tie you. They're going to tie your ankles and wrists together. You're not pickpocketing any guard. Yep. They're going to be smart enough to know that the what the warrior looks like. And anytime the warrior opens his mouth, that magical uh, metal collar around his neck is going to shock him, doing two points of damage. I love it. Yeah. Now this is going to this is going to discourage them from from really thinking that we've got a better way of going about this. We have a newer, smarter way of attacking this just because we're captured now doesn't mean that we we can't and so i'm gonna do all this i'm gonna lay this out so that it is hopeless so that when it's time for them to have a strategy again you wake up and you realize that the collar isn't working anymore it's used up all of its charges you can speak the ropes binding your hands behind your back have frayed a little bit there are going to be things that i will allow them to notice with their passive perception to be able to put them back in the game eventually but if I'm going to take away a little bit of their agency and I don't want them to win, then I'm going to take away all of their agency because they want that long rest. They want to get those new spells. They want to get creative. They want to find a way to win. And if that's going to happen, if, if they want to do that, they need to wait until it's time to do it. If they start doing it when you're still in the middle of story mode and narration and exposition, then they're going to interrupt you and you're going to have to say no as you lay out the next plot points, as you build the next scenario, and they're just going to be frustrated and stop listening. Agency should be all or nothing. A little bit of agency doesn't do you any good. So... That agency needs to be the ability to listen or perceive or communicate with each other with head nods. Maybe little thieves can't, right? Like whatever it is. The outdoorsman is leaving little notes um, for the next outdoorsman who comes by using druidcraft or whatever. These are little things that they can do, but they're not going to be able to, you know, charge up a fireball. Or blink or not. Yeah, I'm just going to put them in an anti-magic field. Like remove the temptation because they are going to get real creative. So for me, one of the things I like to look out for is um, this is when your rules lawyers come out to play, my friends. People get really finicky with the smaller minutia of rules when their hands are literally tied behind their back. So they're going to start going, well, you know, the DMG says that the average, the, the standard DC for something that's hard is this. And I could clearly hit that. Like, this is when you're throwing around... You know, that good old fashioned advantage, disadvantage DM trick, um, as well as the if you need to change the DCs, make things more difficult them, uh, difficult for them. Um, this is one of those times where like, listen, guys, uh, we mentioned as we mentioned earlier, you could talk to them like this is a plot point. We're doing this because of plot reasons. You will get out. But uh, having a good system of how to deal with the rules lawyery questions when they come up. The second you start removing a lot of this agency, then they're like, well, you, you technically you, you can't just do that because of this obscure rule in this notebook. Like it, this is a time for you as a DM to have a bit of a backbone, a bit of an ability to tell your guys, listen, I understand what that said, but I mean, the rules are more guidelines. You as a DM have the ability to use your DM fiat and say, this is how it is. Do not wield that club willy-nilly. Don't be over the top with your rulings. Use it sparingly and they will trust you. Um, one of the solutions I've always had is 
acknowledge the fact that they're trying to do that, say, here's how it's going to play right now because of this actual logical reasoning. Don't just pull it out of your ass and reinforce your players that we shouldn't be uh, in my, at my tables. We don't do role. We don't do uh, uh, any rules related questioning. Once the DMs made their call, it's done at the table. You don't talk about it anymore. If we got to talk about it, we'll talk about it at the end of the session. Like this is this is that time for you. The other thing that I'm going to keep an eye on, my, my second thing here, is that I expect that they're going to try to lean into the role playing in a very negative way, which means they're going to be confrontational and antagonistic. Those guards are going to get sworn at. Their cellmates are going to get bullied. They're going to really feel like they don't trust anyone, and they may not even trust each other when it comes to scenarios like this. I've seen more than one situation where a handful of player characters have thrown another one under the bus for their own freedom. This is also, it can be flipped on its head too. They may be willing to fight to the death for the chance to escape. I'd rather be dead than captured. Remember, it doesn't have to come to that. So if they're going to be antagonistic, you've got to have one guard that can get really upset and allow them to make that guard upset. But then the other guard is very calm and says, all right, enough. That's it. You go for a walk, take a breath, come back. And remember, we don't listen to prisoners. And he's going to point a finger. And the next time that you speak up in there, I'm just going to cast silence on your cell. And you can see what it's like to be in the dark with your hands bound and being quiet. And just have have that higher ranking official, whatever it is, have that extra level of threat. Get in the way of that. When they start to throw one person under the bus, have them say, oh, okay. Well, I mean, if we can kill one of you, we can kill all of you. In for a penny, in for a pound. In, in, in for a copper piece, in for a gold? Is that... Is that the D&D version? Sure. So, well... <laughs> in for a platinum? Yeah, whatever, whatever it is, let them know that they are not in a position to really be bargaining or bartering or trying to intimidate. They can go ahead and try to deceive. They can lie. It's going to hurt them if they do it. If they get discovered, it's a bad thing. Lying to your captors is always risky. And they should be smart enough to know that. And I have no problem asking people, what is your insight? What is your charisma? Make a wisdom save, whatever it is. Not for damage, but to be able to figure out what the scenario is that they're in and understand that they're just making it worse. We don't need to do this yet. We're not there yet. Here comes another folded cue card. Trust me. The last thing I would look out for is um, a removal of engagement as a whole with the party members. It's the hyper-talkative bard that suddenly is just withdrawn and depressed. You as a DM really have to look at your timing and keeping engagement still up while the uh, encounter is going on. Your party might be bound and might be gagged, but there's still stuff going on and they can still see other things going on they can still observe something so try to point out to the players who are maybe they're they're beaten down by the fact that they're captured right like they're they've gone quiet they've 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 sit back and they don't look mad they just look depressed like try to engage them try to try to give them some sort of hint of what's going on maybe maybe they talk to one of the other cellmates that's there or they see a clue of something that they could use in the future for something else that we know is going on with with like the drought rising up and 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 slaving a whole bunch of people you can start laying down clues that your party then observes and thus now they're paying more attention to these little conversations that these people are having 
um, and they're taking little notes because you have targeted them with a little bit of engagement um, drawing plot device or narrative or whatever it is. So uh, keeping your players engaged when they're captive is just as important as making sure they don't flip the table and run. Now, I actually have a couple of tactics for this, and the first one is to keep them engaged in a role-playing scenario. There's no combat to be had here. No. Okay, so I looked at the other two main pillars. One of them is is role-playing, and what I will do is I will give them an NPC that they know from before they were captured. Not a cellmate that they just happen to be in there. I want someone they're already sympathetic towards. Be hurt or be frightened. Now they have to take care of someone. Yep. They still get to feel like heroes. Or if you're dealing with an evil party or the criminal in in your group, the warrior who's asympathetic, give them the, the knowledge that, hey, that screw that's holding the bed frame together feels a little loose, but the guard is standing right outside your cell and it's dangerous to deal with that right now. Give them exploration as well. Let them start taking notes and figuring things out. As you sit there, you realize that there's a foul smell coming from this corner where there's just a pile of hay. And you've put something in there, and it may not be something game-changing, but it could be a tool that they're going to want to use in the future. So give them, you know they're going to escape. Yeah. Start to drop a couple of those hits. Well, that's the point. That's that's why you capture them, so the party can it's, escape. That's why you exactly. do it. Exactly. We don't want them to escape yet, but let them start to put the pieces together in little ways. And you can do that right from the beginning. All right, Adam, our guys have just spent, you know, a day or two gallivanting through the rural aspect of this desert area that we that we call home. And they spent the night at a friendly farmstead um, exchanging tales and eating good food, telling good stories, drinking good ale, making new friends. Making new friends. They've had a great day. We know as the DM halfway through this session, we're going to capture them and we're going to imprison them. We're going to put them in this kind of no-win scenario halfway through. And as with a typical episode, uh, we've got three dynamic encounters each prepared that we're about to lay out. But just so everyone is aware, halfway through, we're capturing the party. Okay, so we'll roll initiative, and then the, the first three are, are foreshadowing and build, and then the last three are, hey, fuckers, you've been captured? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, Adam, let's let's go ahead, let's grab our dice, let's roll initiative on these uh, dynamic encounters. Okay. Oh, oh good. Joy, a two. Well, I got a three, so I guess I'm going first. We went to bed happy. I'm going to start off this session without giving them a long rest. No matter what happened during the day before, I don't want them to recharge because this is going to be relatively easy. The party is going to get awoken in the middle of the night by the farmer or someone, one of their allies who they really trust. They're not going to have time to put on armor. They haven't recharged their spells yet. So here it is. We need your help. Someone is in the barn. I saw a shadow, a 3D shadow, someone moving through. And while... It is the middle of the night, and the idea of there being shadows are, are scary. They're going to go in thinking it's some sort of crazy monster. This is the first time we're going to see a drow. This is going to be a dark elf, and I'm not going to call it a drow. I'm going to just talk about you see a short man with pointy ears and obsidian skin running through shock white hair. And we will see who around the table puts it together. But because I'm not saying the word drow, it's going to add that extra little bit of mystery to it. Uh, honestly, that, sh- that should go, uh, that should just be like a little footnote for all DMs ever. Never say the name of the monster, describe it. Exactly. Until they've become really familiar with it, right? Or they just know that that's a red dragon. 
Exactly. Yeah. But no, they're gonna they're gonna come across this this uh, crazy new scout. It's obviously equipped for scouting. There's no backpack or anything on it. It doesn't speak common, and it's gonna get cornered and get desperate. And they can choose whether or not to take it uh, hostage or whether or not they're going to kill it outright. And whatever they choose to do, run with it. Like, let them let them do this. Are they going to get a captive? Is this someone to take back to uh, the Jingling City? We don't know what they're going to do with it. So this is going to be an exploration to roleplay. They've got to go out there. They've got to sneak up on this thing. And it is going to try to talk and babble at them first. If that doesn't work, then it may break out into a combat. But I think that maybe, maybe it gets a jump on them. Maybe the priest ends up at the pointy end of a blade. Ooh. Right, but really turn this into a proper role-playing encounter with someone who doesn't speak a language and is obviously hostile. There, there is another uh, tertiary reason to do an encounter like this before you're about to drop the hammer and pull in a bunch of oh, agency away from your players, and that is one: you're denying them the long rest, so they're they're already going to be a little short on abilities. Two. If you have that social character that I, I don't know if he's going to be a thief or a warrior or a priest who has those special magical abilities for social situations, this is a way for you as the DM to kind of drain their resources a little bit because the more resources you drain building up to this removal of agency, the less your players are going to have to stand up against it. Yes, I agree completely. The other thing that I want to point out is that we said that we haven't dropped the hammer yet, and you're right, we haven't yet. However, all of the surroundings right now, from a plot perspective, the drow are active at night. This is the night that they're moving. Yep. So all of the neighbors are in dire straits. I'm going to have some neighbors escaping, trying to run down the road. You'll see lanterns on the road, which is unusual. You'll see, you'll have people coming in the middle of the night saying, I need help. There's something crazy going on, right? Or have you have you seen my husband, right? Like it, it's going to be chaos hits this area. And now our farmland is out in the desert. So it's around an oasis. So maybe this is the night that the drow make their move to take everything in the oasis all at once. Love it. Remember, drow are CR one quarter. Your CR four party will have the drop on them. So it's got to be guerrilla tactics, it's got to be shadows, and it has to be overwhelming numbers. Give them allies to work with, and there are some pretty powerful drow up there, but but the main ones are, are CR one quarter. Yeah. So you can get like up to, I would say even up to 12 of these things before your, um, your action economy gets really out of control. So dropping one in is an obvious win for the party, so that when you hit them with overwhelming forces later, you flipped the script on them. So for me, uh, we're still in the middle of the night. I like the idea of the night where the drow are active, but the allies of the drow are also active. And I want to start bleeding a little bit more of these resources out of the combat side uh, of my party. So I have a combat to combat encounter here where um, some farmers come over and say, hey, you guys need to come to the barn. Kind of the same thing. This is something bigger, far more sinister. And it's been a couple days since we were able to get into the barn. Um, and now it's starting to move around. So they haven't been able to go inside for days, mainly because of the horrors they've seen inside. So when the party goes to investigate, they see that inside of this thing is a massive spider that is like a, a 
come up through one of these small breaks into an underground cavern underneath the farmland and has made this barn its new home. So it is caked in spider webs. There are eggs. This thing is skidding around. There's maybe a handful of them. But at about half hit points, this spider is going to screech out this, like once the party starts fighting the spider, because they will. It's a spider in a barn. Why the hell wouldn't they? At about half hit points, the spider is going to screech out and a strike force of drow spider riders are going to jump out and attack the party riding spider mounts. And you are going to get a really big injection of the flavor of the drow while at the same time making the party use up a little bit more of their combat uh, resources. I wouldn't make these encounters necessarily difficult. Like, we got a CR4 party. I would probably make the total of these things a CR3 even, just so the party deals with it relatively quickly, but still is using a little bit of their resources. I want them to feel a little bit like heroes, but I definitely want them to use some things here. And this is going to be scary too. They're going to be running out of stuff. And have they put on their armor yet? Oh, yeah. I, I like the idea of the last dynamic encounter almost being interrupted by this one. They finish it. They've got a, a drow with his hands tied behind his back. They're marching him into the farmhouse. We're going to put him in the pantry. We're going to lock him in there until we figure out what to do with him. And as they're doing that, someone is banging on the door. I need help. And it's their neighbor from down the road. Because as we said in the last episode, you can only really rely on your neighbors, right? And and that's, that's who you have to turn to out here. You're isolated. Your heroes are the heroes right now. And they have got to step up and deal with this. The other thing, too, I wanted to add is that if spiders and webbing and uh, drow riders and whatnot is way too much and it's too difficult, you can make this a bit grueling and you can have them come in waves. My next encounter is going to be really simple. I was thinking that it would be like, oh, midday the next morning. But I'm seeing now that what we're doing is we're creating dynamic encounter after dynamic encounter. We're right in the shit of it, and we don't want them to get a long rest in. The NPCs are going to circle the wagons. They're going to go out, and they're going to get everybody in here as quickly as possible, right? They're, things are happening at all the nearby farms. So let's go out, and we're going to go to the, the outbuildings and get all the farmhands in. we got to go check on the livestock. we got to make sure. And people are starting to go missing. We went in to find them, and they're not there. Or... Someone went off to go bring in to, to get the horses together so we can leave and they never come back. So this is going to be an exploration to exploration right here where two of the farmhands are just missing. There are a couple of different directions you can go on this. Your party has to choose which farmhand to go after. Maybe they're smart enough to split the party, but what they're going to do, it, it, yeah, what they're going to do is they're going to investigate where these missing people have gone missing and it should be nearby. Yeah. And as the sun comes up, while hunting, they're going to discover that there is gore, there, is, there are spiders and webbing and egg sacs, there are more of these runes, there is maybe a discarded or broken elven blade that looks strange with a dark metal. They find tufts of white hair, right? Like, they're going to see signs of major struggle. We ran into that a little bit in the last episode, but this has been a siege, Doors have been, like, broken open. Windows have been smashed in. A building down the road is clearly on fire. Dawn is coming, but shit has hit the fan. And it's that moment of, is this... We... I want it to feel like the apocalypse in this moment, right? And that's what this exploration to exploration needs to be. Every time you turn the corner, something else has to be going wrong. Remember we were running into that with the urban unrest? 
We were dealing with the riots before. This is now rural unrest, <laughs> okay? So you're going to be able to hear the distant screams. You're going to see animals stampeding away. Herds that are just running. Uh, uh, you're going to find a cow leaned over with three or four spiders with their fangs sunk into them. And it's too much for the party to handle. So they've got to leave this poor creature. That's still mooing, by the way. <laughs> right? Like, really, really drive home the darkness. And make it so that while they may be able to have a little fight here or there or loose an arrow, they don't have a clear target. They just know that everything's going wrong. And the farmstead that they were on, the allies that we left them with at the end of last session, these half a dozen NPCs, a couple of them already gone missing. How many of them do we have to save now? Have maybe a few more. Maybe there's 20 NPCs from the surrounding oasis and everybody is freaking out, right? The farmers have picked up their pitchforks and gone and gotten the bastard sword out of the attic, right? Like, whatever it is. They've pulled the crossbow from over the over the fireplace. Then they're ready to go. And we've got a Night of the Living Dead scenario, but there's no creatures that you can see out there. The thing I love about this is you could also very easily jump into a siege-like, but being under siege like encounter where you have um your party stuck in a fa uh, farmhouse with a bunch of hell some of them might be injured npcs and you have to prevent the waves from getting in like there, there's there's so many really cool things that you could do with this atmosphere that we're now starting to build where shit has definitely gone off and the party is probably at this point starting to feel like they might be in over their heads well, that's the idea is we want to really build the suspense here ahead of time because they're going to lose. That's coming. Yeah. And they need to think that, wait a minute, we could lose. The last thing I want to do is pull the rug out from under them when they least expect it. Right. So we're subverting their expectations by having them lose. They're expecting to win. And we're going to subvert that in a minute. So we're going to foreshadow it a bit by showing how bad things are. And remember, they are going to be desperate for a long rest. All of this stuff has been going on. Um, I, in the midst of chaos, one of the things I love to throw at my party is that I in the storm situation where things get calm for a moment. And the way we'll do it with our campaign, uh, with this encounter that I want to have here, which is going to be a uh, role play to combat encounter. So no stuff's about to hit the fan. But um, I want the party to be invited in to a farmer's land to like, hey, come in here. This place is safe. The, our, the barn is safe. We're well protected here and have some evidence of that. Have like all of his sons have uh, lined the roof with their crossbows um, and there's already some dead drow on the outside or, or something along those lines, right? Like have some sort of signs that this is a safe place for your party to go to. And, and then uh, pull a Lando Calrissian on them. And as they go inside and sit down to have this, you know, meal with this incredibly grateful farmer and uh, maybe some other NPCs are there. A group of drow walk into the room and the farmer goes, it was the only way I could save my family. They wanted you guys. And now this guy has set your party up in a trap with a bunch of drow who are going to capture your party. This is when this capture is going to happen. Have the boys up top who were manning the crossbows fall off the building and die or unveil that they were drow all along. There's so many things you could do. And again, you're subverting that expectation where 
You've set the party up where maybe this is when they're going to get their rest. This is when they're going to get their break. Nope. This is when shit's going to hit the fan. And at the end of this encounter, the party is chained up and they have lost. I think that there are, look, there are CR 20 drow. There are some real powerhouses in there with a lot of magic and a lot of things they can do. Having simply three or four driders involved in this, right, can be great because when when one drow captain walks out with a couple of just regular drow with them, the party's going to size them up and say, okay, there are three of them. That guy's heavily armored. I think we can take them. We're at our, our wit's end. We've got all sorts of NPCs we need to protect. They're going to draw steel. They're going to start preparing their spells. And then six Driders come down. You can have a very quick initiative where they are just knocked down to unconsciousness. Drop them to zero hit points, but have it clear that they're going to be stabilized. The enemy is going to stabilize them. Drow are here to enslave, not kill. So, taking hostages, like, there's a lot you can do in this to keep this really dynamic. And going from the roleplay into combat is great. But when your players do that thing where they want to fight to the death, have heavy enough hitters to wrap that combat up within two rounds. If they hold on to the bitter end for eight rounds and still lose, they're going to feel so cheated. Okay, so for my last one, uh, very, very quickly, whatever this barn is, in my head, it's a, it's a cellar. There's only two ways in, you know, in, in through the doors outside and in through the secret hatch on, on through the kitchen or whatever, right? The back door through the pantry. So this was a great place to hide and, and nope, the drow were there all the time anyway. Whatever it is, there's going to be a terrified and newly widowed woman who was there. Her husband just died in front of her eyes. She's traumatized. This is going to be a role play to exploration encounter because someone says, you know, I, I don't know this area. I've never been in this barn before. She has. She may know a way out, but she is so scared of the drow that she does not want to deal with it. She is so shell-shocked that she does not want to talk to the party or work with them. So she needs to be persuaded to help and she may give little clues about, well, yeah, all of the tools are around the corner there. Or there's a trap door underneath that bale of hay. If only we could get to it, right? And so this is going to be your party captured. And now, remember I said they're going to try to look for new strategies and try to figure stuff out. And how do you engage them? Give them this woman to, to work with, to give them the idea that they can escape but they can't get there yet. They need to get the information. They need to put their eyes on the method of escape, but they can't do it. There's too much going on. They have to wait for their moment. I honestly like trying to figure out the last encounter to have for the session, trying to think of that. And I can't think of another way to do it than to have the, you know, the balance to that cathartic, wholesome ending we had to last session to have another piece another break in the action but this time it's not cathartic it's not it's not wholesome your party is stripped of their items they are chained and locked in a cage their magics have been muted because hey it's drow and they know how to do that and every single spell has a chance to fail they gotta work together to get out of this and this is when i would be like okay the guards are leaving you guys alone for a minute You've seen them do a rotation. You know they're not going to be gone long. Have some time to talk about a plan. This is going to be some party politics going on. As the party is now sitting there going, well, the warrior can't swing his axe around anymore and, and the mage can't fling any spells. How do we get out of this, guys? And give the party the space to start theorizing. 
And that is where I would end the session with them theorizing. Let them get some ideas. Don't give them any answers, but occasionally bring back the guard to stand there and then give them the challenge of trying to have this discussion while they are being actively actively observed. I like the idea of seeing how bold and brazen they are with it as well. Like, let's say the drow don't speak dragonborn or hell, they probably don't speak common. But the idea that whoever speaks gets slapped for one hit point over and over and over again. We'll see how bold these guys get with their talking before the drow pulls out a dagger and does 1d4 damage, right? And then goes for their rapier, right? And so, like, we can we can really start to, to see how far these players are going to push it. And when they get to the point where they think that maybe they have something they can work with, they have a strategy, say, okay, that's great. I want you guys to mull it over and come back next week with what you think what you think you can do. You can message me all week about, did I notice this? What did you mean when you said there was a crack in the wall? That kind of stuff, right? Let them spend a week mulling it over. Think, remember last time we, we said it's good to not end on a cliffhanger every week. This is very much a cliffhanger, <laughs> right? So, um... So I really like ending on this note of them having this these party politics and you as a DM gets to sit there and listen to where they're coming from. But be aware that when you show up next week, Dan, you goddamn do this to me every fucking week. <laughs> Within seven days, the plan has changed. And so you as a DM have to realize that whatever your plan was, you just stick to it. Because they're going to come to the table. Don't sit there and listen to them theorizing about what they're going to do this. And then you start planning on how you're going to counter that or look into this. Doesn't matter. Have your rotation set up. Have the passive perception of your drow already set. And stick with it. We want your guys to escape. Next week is going to be an escape and a manhunt. Yeah. Because of course it is. That's the next story beat, right? So, like, I'm not surprising anybody with this. You've been captured. The next thing is is you get away from capture, right? Like, that, 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 that's where we are. Yeah. So, so sit there and listen to them until they start to feel good about themselves and then end the session. You don't want them to pout and, and stomp their feet away because if they're feeling... I, 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 I would disagree in some sense. I would say let them feel a little better, but don't them, like, come to terms with where they're at. Like, give them an opportunity, but you definitely want to keep them on their back foot so that when they come to the session next week... They're like, all right, we've spent the entire week in our private Facebook chat talking about how we're going to get out of this. So let's do it. And then, of course, after the first sentence that you give them, that plan's going to change and everything's going to be different. But Right. But look, my party that I play with, Adam, me personally, I can let them walk away feeling a little dejected and they trust me. I've spent years building this trust. Yeah. Not everyone is going to have that right away. So let them feel like they've got a chance and they have agency again. While you have taken that agency away, it has to be clear what agency they still have while they take a week off and think about it. Otherwise, they're not going to want to show up next week. I've seen more than one campaign end because everyone's a prisoner and they just feel dejected and they feel down about themselves. I had a four-month campaign, and pretty much in this exact same scenario, they were captured by pirates. They were put in, in the hold of a ship, and they were hell. And we were told. I was one of the players. We were told, you're going to stay down here for two months. I'll see you next week. And we never came back to that campaign. Oh, geez. Well, nobody wanted to. No, it makes that makes complete sense. So, so give them the feeling of uh, of some sort of return to normalcy. Maybe let them get a long rest. Yeah, you don't have your axe back, but you've got all your rages again, right? Let them have whatever it is they need. If they say, "Hey, we want a long rest," give them a long rest. 
and let them end on a little bit of a high note because they're going to need that hope to get out next week. And they're only going to start strategizing. You want them to strategize for a week, right? That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Right? They're not, they're not going to do that if you leave them on a down note. They're just going to pout. So now that we've met the enemy forces and have been captured, we're going to take a moment and sit and wait and plan. This will give us the chance to work on our alibis and defense strategies for next week when we deal in the inevitable and heroic plan to escape. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. Contact us at info at itsmimic.com because we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Okay, bye.